Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Friends, Facts, and Fiction. As always, this podcast is made possible by our local convenience stores, the misappropriation of history, and you. And now to your hosts, Justin Hammonds, Brant Bramlett, and Drew Shellnut. What's up? What's happening, world? It's a podcast called Friends, Facts, and Fiction. Season 5, Staying Alive, Trying to Thrive. Mm. Episode 2, Shipwreck USA. Oh, my goodness. Oh, This episode as well. It's going to be lit. Anyway, I'm Justin Hammonds, and uh, I'm looking at my boy Drew Shonut. <laughs> and my boy Grant Bramlett. Yeah, this <laughs> um, yeah, is going to be, it's like, it's not quite as... Um, hmm. Salacious as some of yeah. the the yeah. last handful that I've had or whatever, but it is one of those like that is very interesting. <laughs> and, huh, I did not neat. know that. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a touch on the dry side, at least for me personally, because like this period of American history is very um, like contract oriented and mm-hmm. by the books, and it's when we really developed like American yeah. politics, and we've got all these different like Western European nations like. Instead of like outright just killing each other all over, over all this, they start to get into the point of like treaties and trades and yeah. stuff. I mean, there's yeah. still definitely wars going on, yeah. but not quite as bad. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a little more about like meetings and treaties of and course. stuff. But, meetings and treaties. But it's that, pretty cool though. They normally didn't stick to those treaties. No. But <laughs> no. Uh, that's a different story for a different time. Yeah. Andrew Jackson. Anyway. Hey. Uh, so, um, yeah. We back, man. Hope y'all doing well out here in this world. Uh, Things are getting better every day. At least I hope so. Um, And yeah, we back in it, back on it. Did you pick a song to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Um, So Father John Misty is like this. It's a solo thing because he used to be in, I guess he still kind of is in Fleet Foxes. Um, Great, great lyricist. I think a really good vocalist. Uh, He usually leans towards like, I don't know, like orchestral folk. Uh, yeah, he likes to, that. yeah, pull. It's very, very folk oriented as far as like the song structure and the lyric content is concerned. But he likes to pull in, you know, some really interesting instrumentation, and it's a pretty like wide sounding, you know, kind of mm. kind of thing that he does. But he put out a new album um, called Chloe in the Next Twentieth Century, and the one that uh, struck me pretty good. Um, if I'm in the grocery store by myself, like. I really kind of miss the mask days. Sometimes I still wear a mask in the grocery store yeah. just for that like sheer like anonymity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like let me just hat, chill. mask, yeah. headphones. Yep. And it's just like, I'm in, I've got my list. I'm getting the fuck out of there. I yeah. hate the lighting. I don't like the way that people don't seem to operate by yeah. traffic patterns with their shopping Real. carts. The most awkward like, shit is like when people don't get it. Like, Hey, look, you gotta be on one side of the aisle. Yeah. yeah. Not just yeah. right in the so middle, just chilling, looking at hot sauces. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I, I am literally Fucking on great. like a hunter gatherer mission when mm-hmm. I go to grocery stores, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I like to listen to stuff like this, uh, because the second track on it is goodbye. Mr. Blue gave me, it was just such a, like, Oh, this, this is nice. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's kind of okay that grocery stores exist. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much easier in life. You know, I was just in <laughs> such a good mood solely because of that song. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah. recommend that. That's what's cracking. Fuck yeah, go check that out. Um, like I say, um, in the process of updating the playlist on Spotify, mm-hmm. but you can find that song of the day of the week playlist on Spotify. Um, 
Yeah, that's the song of the day of the week. Goodbye, Mr. Blue. Yeah. By... Father John Misty. Boom. Father John Misty. On his newest album. Sounds like a Catholic priest name, <laughs> but word. Word to him. Keep, keep thriving. Speaking of music, um, I was listening to NPR and heard that Pink Floyd has a new song out. Huh. Um, called Hey Hey Rise Up. And it's because um, David Gilmore's um, daughter-in-law called him from the Ukraine. Oh, wow. And said that there was a oh, guy shit. standing in the middle of the square singing solitary by himself this old Ukrainian song. Ah, awesome. And the end of it is, and I've got chill bumps right now. You just gave some to me. Yeah, that's the, cool. The, guy, the, the end of it, and you... you those of us who don't speak Ukrainian, you can tell at the end that he's say, singing Hey, Hey, Rise Up. And it's just... And yeah. I haven't listened to the Pink Floyd song yet, mm-hmm. but it's got to be dope. Yeah. yeah. Like, so there's that. Too. That, that oh, just yeah. popped up in my brain on the NPR spectrum. Um, I'm going to check that shit out. Yeah. You got two tracks. So day. It's, it's the first Songs time the the Pink Floyd has recorded anything since the Division Bell. Right. Mm. Which Oof. the division bell was awesome. The division bell to me. It took me a long time to get past that era of like production quality, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the way it sounded. I, I get mm-hmm. that. And then I finally was like able to get over that and like listening to the actual like song. Mm-hmm. Fucking yeah. yeah. That's a good album. The, the division bell was the closest thing to Dark Side of the Moon that they put out since Dark Side of the Moon yeah. on a musical spectrum. And now they're. Putting this out. So I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. Well, David Gilmore has always been one of my favorite musicians anyway because he can take three notes, make an entire song, and make you cry out of it. Sure. Soul. Yeah. You it's make pretty, your soul cry yeah. with pretty, three pretty notes. Intense. You know? Yeah. So that motherfucker is a blues quintessence. Yeah, Rob definitely uh, had a whole spectrum of emotions in three minutes listening to a Pink Floyd song mm-hmm. several times. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm I mean, really happy. Oh, my God, I'm reflecting on my sadness. One. Why am I angry at the government? <laughs> Oh shit, life is okay. It's like, oh, what, the fuck, what the fuck is happening to me right now? Like, what the fuck is well, and I'm also somebody yeah. who's like a guilt by association type like relayer. So if I like see like, oh, this person listens to this and they're this lifestyle, and this person listens to this, and these uh, and this group all listen to this, this, this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a part of that, so I'm not gonna listen to that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was like that my entire growing up life. That's why I didn't listen to stuff like Slipknot and Corn and stuff like that, because it was all the mall metal kids. Yeah. Sorry for you guys. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you grow up, and now I listen to, like, Katy Perry and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, because the music's fucking good. Yeah. It's not like a... It's, it's, and, and to everybody out there, please do what makes you happy. Yeah, don't follow don't no listen, trans. Even if it's your best fucking friend that disagrees with you about something, and you're just trying to... Fit in. To fit in, keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> yeah. Do what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the life, yeah. it's all about who? Not them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you. I had this, uh, since interview of this, uh, I think it was a Russian rapper. Odd dude. But anyway, uh, he was saying, um, yeah, man, like I've already, already had style. I already had my personal style. So when I got money, I just kept doing my own thing. I didn't fucking go out and buy all this Prada and Gucci yeah. and Louis and yeah. shit to make a status out of it because, like, I already have my style. I yeah. just brought better quality of my style. You know what right. I mean? Like, sure. I didn't do it to have a name brand on me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like bro, that's, that's fucking dope. Yep. You know? And have that personal acceptance of yourself and knowing yourself is very important yep. in this life. Um, yeah. 
and Life knowing and, and knowing what you believe in. When you, you, when you, you need a message need, button. You need message. To, yeah, that's a message. <laughs> that's a message. <laughs> message. But knowing what you believe in, knowing what you have, like uh, faith is such a fickle word these days. Oh yeah, bro. Such a fickle word. Faith doesn't necessarily mean anything about religion. Faith is something that faith, by definition, is something that you believe in that isn't seen. Boom. That's just life, man. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. just life. Like you gotta have, like uh, setting setting uh, the whole self fulfilling prophecy. That's a psychological thing. That's not a religious thing. <coughs> that will happen yeah. if you put something in your mind. Oh, my day's gonna be shitty. Guess what? Your day's gonna be fucking shitty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> true straight that, up, true that. You gotta speak it to the universe. That's if for sure. you don't, if you that don't, helps. Yeah, if you don't speak but it out know, to the universe, put it out, it out there. to the universe and actually working. To, yeah, for sure. That's, that's the back end of that. Actually working towards that thing you spoke into yep. the universe. You can't just speak it out. Yeah, um, we don't need religion for that. But yeah, that's the motivational uh, section of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we got anything sure. else before we dive into these facts? Yeah, I think let's do a little uh, <laughs> weird news update. A woman rescued after falling into a toilet trying to get her phone. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) So in Quilcene, Washington, by the AP News, a woman who accidentally dropped her cell phone into the hole of an outhouse in a national forest and fell in while trying to retrieve it to be rescued by firefighters in Washington State. Brennan Fire Department Chief Tim Manley said the woman who was at the top of Mount Walker in the Olympic National <laughs> Forest northwest of Seattle, had been using her phone when it fell into the toilet on Tuesday, the Kitsap Sun reported. Manley said she disassembled the toilet seat and used dog leashes to try to get the phone She's and really eventually used it. leashes to tie herself off as she reached for it. <laughs> Wow! So she had like a safety harness trying to dive into the outhouse. She was she was, she was toilet spelunking at this point. <laughs> Just fuck that phone. Yeah, like, if it's gone yeah, in that I, moment, oof. I would be like, "Oh, that really sucks." Uh, well, I'm buying a phone tomorrow. Yeah. Like, well, guess, guess I'm, I'm out here just chilling by myself, no contacts. You know, Word. so guess I'll find an AT and D somewhere or fucking Sprint, whatever. That effort failed, and she fell. Into the toilet head first. Jesus Christ. They oh. didn't work very well. That's so awful. And in she went, Manly said. The woman was alone and tried to get out for 10 to 15 minutes. Reunited with her phone, she called 911. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm inside of an outhouse. <laughs> uh. Responding firefighters passed her blocks to stand on. <laughs> oh, my God, bro. How deep is this outhouse, bro? Right. How much shit is in there, bro? Jesus Christ. Whoa. I don't know. Responding don't firefighters know. passed her blocks to stand on to reach a harness. Oh, God. Which they used to pull her <coughs> pull her out of the vault. The that's, vault. That's what that, that's that's called. they call it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. okay. The Brennan Fire Department day. said the woman said she was uninjured. She was washed down and, quote-unquote, strongly encouraged to seek medical attention after being exposed to human waste. Yeah, bro. But she only wanted to leave, the department said. I've been doing this for 40 years, and this is the first time this has ever happened to me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
That's not a rare, that's a rare occurrence to get stuck in a fucking outhouse vault. Uh, speaking of currents, also, <laughs> also uh, the old pink eye, old oh, stink eye, yeah. baby. Whoa. Might want to get checked for conjunctivitis <laughs> there, champ. Um, yeah, woof. Weird news update. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some fucking weird news, boy. <laughs> Jesus bless it, man. And that happened on the 22nd of um, this beautiful April. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. It's April. Yeah. 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 April. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this was it like is. two days ago. Yes. It, compared to this yeah. when this was recorded. She, she, fell, in, <laughs> she fell in a poo-poo hole yeah. a couple of days ago. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Poor thing. That's Poor thing. fucking wild. <laughs> man, that's therapy's needed. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Woo. Oh, good luck to you. Hope you're all right. Um, but yeah, weird news update. Now we're going to slide into this, these hot, hot facts. Hot, hot. About, slide in. Uh, <clears throat> about a shipwreck that doubled the size of the USA. Get comfortable, you know what I'm saying? Take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Already then, let's dive into these hot facts, man. What we got? Yeah, okay. So I'm gonna start off with a little little story to get us into it. When the trowel net from the fishing boat mistake hmm? it's called mistake. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it, and it looked just a big fat mistake, mistake just written on the side of the boat. It's That's amazing. Awesome. Wow. Uh, struck something on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico in the summer of 1993. Captain Jerry Murphy was fearful of damage to it. It was indeed ripped in several places when they hauled it up, but it didn't matter uh, when Murphy, Murphy heard his first mate screaming, ballast stones and coins, lots of coins. Hell yeah. And one of the most astounding yet captivating yarns in the annals of treasure lore. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's boat, The Mistake, had snagged some of the 450,000 silver pesos aboard the Spanish brig El Cazador. So 45 bucks. The 18-gun warship left Veracruz, Mexico in the winter of 1784. Oof. And by the beginning of summer was declared lost without a trace. Loaded with coins freshly minted in Mexico City. The brig was bound for New Orleans, where the Spanish government needed the disbursement to fuel its economy. The colony's survival depended on this shipment, which was listed on the manifest as 17 tons of silver. Jesus Christ. Sorry, 17,000 yeah. tons of silver. That's a whole lot. Yeah, that's a bunch. The El Cazador sank just 50 miles south of New Orleans. Mm. It, they were Whoa. very close. Yeah, wow. They were. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> to get to where they needed to be going. The question of how the ship sank remains unanswered, but poses one particularly, uh, particularly titillating theory. I like titillating. I know, that's a fun word. Uh, historian <laughs> Anderson Buzz Titillation. Bullock of Lafayette, Louisiana, believes the brig struck large masses of ice swept down from the Mississippi River. Yeah. He found from studying uh, uh, winter's past, ice flows have on more than one occasion formed over a 200-mile stretch of the river. Hmm. And then records show that the winter of 1784 is being extremely cold. So they literally form way, way up north, most likely in Canada, and yeah. then wash all the way down the Mississippi during those like spring floods and stuff. That's crazy. And it takes that long to get to the Gulf, but it's still big enough to where it's not completely melted yet it's still an iceberg That's theoretically wild, can bro. sink a ship yeah uh, yeah titanic isn't that crazy um 
That's wild as fuck. Though. When Zero. El Cazador uh, left port in January, it would have sailed right into the path of ice, possibly broken free further north and drifted into the Gulf. Uh, as for a storm theory, if the ship had encountered one, there would have been a typical debris field that yep. is usually seen, and there was not. It appears the ship went straight to the bottom. Bullock hmm. scoffs at the pillaging pirates theory. He says the 90-foot El Cazador, in Spanish meaning the hunter, was a well-armed and heavily manned vessel equipped to track down pirates, smugglers, and enemies of the crown. So, I mean, think of like a... Like a um, an armored car going yeah. from one bank to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had the same process. Yeah, they they had like, like 18 cannons on that bitch. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were ready for whatever. Yeah. They wanted mm-hmm. to smoke. They mm-hmm. knew <laughs> that they're carrying a lot of money yeah. and theoretically the survival of New Orleans yeah. or the survival of, Spanish, of the Spanish owning New Orleans. You know yeah, I mean? 17,000 tons of yeah. silver. Of silver, yeah, yeah. That's a shit ton of money today, oh, let alone ooh. in the fucking 1700s. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Jim and, and Myrna uh, Riahard of Grand Bay, Alabama, and four partners purchased three trawlers in 1989, including the mistake, and formed the Grumpy Company. These names are dope as fuck. The, the group of ships is underneath the umbrella company called Grumpy. And then huh. one of the boats is called the Mistake. <laughs> A like, grumpy mistake, huh? So great. It's like Tennessee Bell Bonds. Uh, uh, the sailing, oh, yeah, grumpy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sailing out of uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, fishermen sought a butterfish feeding on the bottom in deep waters of the Gulf. On more than one occasion, the Riahards daydreamed of what they would do if one of their boats found a treasure ship. Mm. When their dream came true in August of 93, they agreed the first step would be to hire a good maritime law attorney. They soon found one when David Horan won a case in the Supreme Court for treasure salver Mel Fisher took the case. He promptly suggested the Rearhards form a salvage partnership and file an admiralty or admiralty admiralty claim on the (laughs) site. So like a, you know, uh, ocean claim. (laughs) It's like this is our shit. So and it's found in it, the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It's our mm-hmm. yeah. Located, like I said earlier, 50 miles south of New Orleans. The ship was in international waters where federal maritime law supersedes state law. This was a major break for the company. They named Grumpy Partnership. Otherwise, it would have faced the state bureaucracy if the wreck had been found closer to the shoreline. I think just by like 15 miles or so or 25 miles. Like not that much further. That's lucky as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like insanely unlucky for the Spanish. (laughs) But the homie in 93, like, bruh. For the grumpy folk, you know. I just looked up 17,000 pounds of silver. Today's price is only five thousand dollars for seventeen thousand pounds. What about tons? What it shows? Oh, tons! Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus! Never mind. Um, (laughs) There were permit application and other delays, but after the Grumpy Group appeared in the U.S. District Court and won ownership, uh, the door to major salvage was open. Uh, Merrick's International was chosen to lead the operation, uh, and they—it's a guy named uh, Herbert or nicknamed Herbo Humphreys, so uh, Herbo Humphreys, (laughs) was a successful Memphis, Tennessee businessman, which that just sounds very accurate. All of this sounds right to me. The company had earned kudos for finding a trove of gold, silver, and precious gems on the Spanish galleon Las uh, Maravillas. 
but this was in shallow water on the Little Bahama Bank. Now, Cazadora would be much more challenging in the Gulf's deeper waters. Uh, working from the research vessel RV Beacon, divers breathed mixed gases at 300 feet. So these divers had to go quite deep. Mm-hmm. Dangerous levels, actually. Yeah. Um, they found the ship's bell and 3,000 King Carlos III portrait coins, many of which were eight reals dated 1783. They brought up 12,000 more before surrendering to poor visibility and lengthy decompression stages. That's, yeah, when, bro, that's fucking incredible feat to do. Yeah. Like, uh, shit, bro. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> so shit. That's when Humphreys put his uh, remote-operated vehicle, or ROV, to work. Um, they plucked conglomerates of coins off the bottom. It wasn't long before 30,000 more were retrieved, including smaller denominations and more pieces of eight, as it was referred to back then. Other artifacts strewn amongst the ballast uh, stones included cannons, small arms, pottery, stained glass, rosary beads, and galley utensils. Anything made of, of wood was destroyed by something called teredo worms, Mm. And uh, conservation and preservation of the artifacts was conducted in an Alabama lab where photos and documentation prepared them for sale and museum displays. Ensuing work on the site eventually led to between a 70 and 80% recovery of the treasure. Whoa. Which is fucking rad. That's nuts, bro. They got rich as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as the chronology of El Cazador unfolded, some historians called it the the shipwreck that changed a nation. Um, supposition says if the ship had reached its destination, the colony would have been saved. It couldn't survive the falling value of its paper money and needed hard currency to redeem it. In 1800, the Louisiana territory was ceded by Spain back to France, the original owner, which in turn sold it three years later to the United States. President Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase doubled the size of the young republic and altered the course of history, all because a Spanish ship failed to reach its destination. That is crazy, bro. Hmm. So, like I said earlier, El Cazador, or the Hunter, was about 90 feet long with a shallow draft and two masts. She probably carried 18 high-quality bronze cans. The Spanish brig of war set sail from Veracruz, Mexico, on January 11th, 1784, under the command of a Captain Gabriel de Campos. She was loaded down with 17 metric tons of newly minted silver reals, the Spanish currency of the time. See, King Carlos III of Spain ordered the money to be transported from the mint to New Orleans, which served as the capital of Spain's Louisiana colony. New Orleans was settled by a melting pot of immigrants from France, Spain, Africa, and the West Indies. New Orleans had developed its own unique culture, like, right from the beginning. And that's honestly Which one of the reasons shows, why. Bro. It shows, yeah. so much well, yeah. today. That's like, why, like, New Orleans even today is still so unique to America. It doesn't feel like you're in the country well, because when you're no, in New Orleans. You're not. I mean, it wasn't founded <laughs> by pro- Brits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Shit is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really its own thing. Uh, And with such a mix of people in one place, the city often lent itself to corruption, as it does now. Mm -hmm. King Carlos III needed to pay his soldiers and government officials in charge of the city. However, paper money circulating in New Orleans had lost much of its value as it was widely counterfeited. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, boy. And then, like I said earlier, a couple of times it left. In June, it was declared missing. 
uh, and they just had no fuck. I mean, seriously, they, all they thought for over 200 years was somewhere between where it left and where it was supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> so something happened in those and also, many I, miles. I, um, I re-ran the numbers, and it is $3,213,000. And just in silver. And just, just silver. Just the fact that it's yeah. silver. Damn. That's um, fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah. So. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so this unlikely shipwreck gave King Carlos pause about whether the Louisiana territory that Spain acquired from France about 20 years earlier was even a worthwhile investment anymore. So he was cousin to King Louis the Fifteenth of France through their shared uh, bloodline known as the Bourbons. Yeah. Last mm-hmm. name Bourbon. Mm. Fucking dope. Yeah, they and, uh, kind of pushed the. Uh, that's a whole nother yeah, subject. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Not gonna dive into that. And they had, and <laughs> and they apparently had like a a pretty good relationship. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um. So in 1762, Louis ceded the Louisiana territory to Carlos the Third with the Treaty of Fontainebleau. Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, or sorry, the 15th sought to keep his precious Louisiana territory out of British hands. That was the most important thing. Yeah. It was like France yeah. and Spain. They were just like, eh, I'm not happy about giving this to you because mm-hmm. it's a shitload of land, very valuable, especially New Orleans. But yeah. fuck them Brits. But fuck the Brits. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck them Brits. Um, because the French had lost the global conflict of the Seven Years' War, or as we know it over here, the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the British, King Louis the uh, Fifteenth foresaw the upcoming repercussions of France's defeat and the intentions of Britain to assert her dominance in North America and the Caribbean. Uh, and when they signed uh, the Treaty of Paris in 1763, that ended the war officially and gave the growing British Empire all of Louisiana east of the Mississippi River, save for New Orleans, which Louis the Fifteenth had definitely passed into family hands via the Spanish king a year prior. New Orleans' geography had its share of pros and cons. Plagues and mosquitoes attracted to the waterlogged city's subtropical climate, uh, bred mm-hmm. disease, including yellow fever, dysentery, smallpox. Um, oh, dysentery. Yeah, I know. And then, but despite all the diseases, the alligators, the venomous snakes, Oh, the mosquitoes themselves, even if they're not bringing diseases, are fucking annoying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, uh, it's rough down there in the yeah. bayou, boy. And <laughs> and the city was in constant danger of flood because they didn't have the levees yet. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? It's fucking what seven thousand feet below sea level or some crazy shit down there. It's no. Uh, <laughs> it is below sea level. Though, yeah, it's below sea which level. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> but seven thousand feet below. <laughs> The deepest bowl on the earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you get what I'm saying. Come live here. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. But in spite of all of that, Literally. New Orleans was still prime <laughs> commercial real estate because of its position at the end of the mighty Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. Farmers, traders, merchants of all stripes could send their goods down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico via New Orleans, exporting and inputting goods anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Gulf is pretty chill waters-wise, yeah. yeah. so it was really easy for them to park a whole bunch of boats there so they could bring stuff in and take stuff out, of you course, know? Bro. Port, um, port city, baby. Yeah. Spain uh, exploited its control over the port and levied expensive tariffs for its use. As more people settled into the sprawling Louisiana territory, it became ever more costly for Spain to manage and control it. 
as a result of Spain beginning to lose its uh, colonial grip on not only Louisiana, but much of its holding in the Western Hemisphere all throughout the 1790s, France started eyeing its former territory in Louisiana once again. Mm-hmm. Right around that time, Napoleon Bonaparte, he oh, okay. took the French throne by a coup d'etat in 1799, and he looked to the Western Hemisphere to aid the expansion of his empire. On October 1st of 1800, Spain and France signed the secret treaty of San Ildefonso. With it, Napoleon cut a deal to give the Spanish king, Carlos IV's son-in-law, Tuscany, in exchange for returning the Louisiana territory to French control. (laughs) That's fucking wild. Dude, this is... That is so crazy. It's so weird how all this works out. I'll give you this if you just give me that. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? At the same time, trouble was brewing in French-owned island of Hispaniola, today Haiti and the Dominican Republic. That once, ironically, belonged to Spain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Spain also sold that to France. Yeah. And then ongoing events in Hispaniola would indirectly alter the young United States forever because it was the only successful slave revolt in the Western Hemisphere. Damn right. Mm. Um, And this occurred at what now Haiti from 1791 to 1804. We've talked about that on this podcast, but I didn't realize that it also helped us double our nation. (laughs) (laughs) The French had been unable to completely subdue the Haitian slave rebellion. So Napoleon wisely decided to just cut France's losses on Hispaniola after losing 55,000 troops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bro. They were out here though. Because that slave army had evolved into a highly efficient guerrilla army. Yeah. Um, Although the loss of France's lucrative sugar plantations in Haiti would mean Napoleon's war chest would take a hit, he needed to replace the loss of income. So while he's supporting out his imperial problems, another leader also contemplated expanding his nation's horizons. President Thomas Jefferson. He Mm. viewed the French control over the port at New Orleans as a hindrance to American settlement in the West. He didn't want to fight with France over the territory because, you know, we just finished fighting with the British mm-hmm. like not very long ago. Exactly. <laughs> um, like four years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jefferson understood that war would prove catastrophic for the young United States. So instead, he sought out a diplomatic solution. He sent James Monroe as his envoy to the French government with an offer to buy New Orleans for no more than $3 million. Instead of haggling over the port city, Napoleon surprised Jefferson by upping the ante. He put the entire Louisiana territory up for sale. Mm. No more, no less. Now, I'll be damned. The strict constructionist president was conflicted uh, with the offer since the Constitution didn't include allowances for the federal government to accept land purchases. Huh. To get around that. That's interesting. I know. Again, there's so much of this that I'm like, how did I not know this? Yeah, Uh, right. So crazy. To get around that, he framed the deal as a treaty between the United States and France. Strategy worked. 
and Jefferson bought the enormous swath of land between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains for $15 million on April 30th, 1803. But that's so much fucking money in 1803, bro. Yeah, oh but... Like $15 million now, I mean, athletes get paid that shit a year. Yeah. But like, bro. In 1803? <laughs> that's yeah. fucking insane. But check this shit <laughs> Holy out. Holy shit. It worked. It's so fucking big that it priced out at barely four cents per acre. Oh my God! Damn. The average price of an acre in the United States today is twelve thousand yeah, dollars. Crazy. <laughs> there was a guy at work the other day that, that was bitching, bitching to me that his his grandpa just bought um, seventy two acres for seventy two thousand dollars. That's a really and I went price. what? That's fucking amazing. That's where, a really, where, really where is it at though? Because in, in Arizona, okay. okay. That's Desert fantastic, even for Arizona. But still yeah. dope. It's still dope though, right? Um, that's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. What kind of deal? What kind of fucking what? Yeah. So <laughs> then talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 828,000 square miles or 2.1 million square kilometers signed over in Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase Treaty effectively doubled the size of the United States and set it on the path to conquering the continent all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Hmm. It's the only reason that we are as big as we are. It's because a fucking yeah. ship no. sank. And then there was a war or a, a slave revolt in Haiti. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fucking wild, bro. Now, Damn, this world would be so much different if, if, yeah. that, if mm-hmm. that boat just would have made it. This world would be so much yeah. more different. In high school, I remember. 50 miles away. I know. 50 fucking 50 miles. miles. That's anyway. all they had to do. Yeah. <laughs> 50 miles, bro. Crazy. I'll drive that shit in a week. A half an hour in a car. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Um, and I remember, like, I know that we covered Louisiana Purchase in like middle school or high school, but either didn't care at the time or yeah. we just glossed over it. So it's like, hey, this big slab of land, we bought that shit. Now we're here. Yep. That's kind of what it was. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah. I didn't know about this ship yeah. mm-hmm. and a slave revolt yeah. that also fucked over Spain. Yeah, right. and France. Yeah, <laughs> and also a lot of the details to this that I'm about to cover, I don't either don't remember it or they just didn't cover um, in my classes. But the purchase included land from 15 present U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. Actually, jam. It included the entirety of Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska. Holy shit! Mm. Large portions of North Dakota and South Dakota, the area of Montana. Wyoming and Colorado east of the Continental Divide, the portion of Minnesota west of the Mississippi River, the northeastern section of New Mexico, northern portions of Texas, New Orleans, and the portions of the present of the present state of Louisiana west of the Mississippi River, small portions of land within Alberta and Saskatchewan. I thought it was just Louisiana. No. They taught us all the way wrong. Yeah, it's like Louisiana up. Holy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the, the whole slab, bro. The whole yeah. slab of the middle of the country yeah. was the Louisiana Territory, basically. Yeah. That's nuts. It's wild as fuck. And, and From the, Montana to Louisiana, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's like half the country. Yeah. Like, so this is also some shit that I didn't know at all. At the time of the purchase, the territory of Louisiana's non-native population was just around 60,000. Uh, of whom half were enslaved Africans. Mm-hmm. So just wow. 30,000 free people. That's crazy. The western borders of the purchase were later settled by the 1819 Adams Onus Treaty with Spain. So Spain lost more land to us. Mm-hmm. While the northern borders of the purchase were adjusted by the Treaty of 1818 with Britain. So they basically re got 
those portions of Canada Mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, France only controlled a small fraction of this area. Most of it was inhabited by Native Americans. For the majority of the area, what the United States bought was the, quote, preemptive right to obtain, quote, Indian lands by treaty or by conquest to the exclusion of other colonial powers. So they're saying that they just bought the right to go in their brains into their white Western European brains to like, no, no, no. When we go kill these natives off or just take their land from them and force them Mm -hmm. to go somewhere else or try and teach them how to put on pantaloons and speak English, No other country, Spain, Britain, or France, is allowed to do that, but we are. That's yeah. what our money got us. That's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. I mean, they're still, uh, like, abducting Native American people now and like, assimilating them into English mm-hmm. and shit, bro. It's so wild. Yeah. It's so crazy. Now, the total cost of all subsequent treaties and financial settlements over this massive amount of land has been estimated to be about $2.6 billion. Jesus. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, after Monroe and Livingston had returned from France with the news of the purchase, an official announcement of the purchase was made on July 4th, of all dates, mm-hmm. 1803. This gave Jefferson and his cabinet until October, when the treaty had to be ratified, to discuss the constitutionality. Uh, yeah. Mm. Of mm-hmm. the purchase. <laughs> Jefferson considered a constitutional amendment to justify the purchase. However, his cabinet convinced him otherwise. Jefferson justified the purchase by rationalizing. Here's a quote of his that I found so odd. It is the case of a guardian investing the money of his ward in purchasing an important adjacent territory and saying to him, when of age, I did this for your good. Oh, my God. That's so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty up. weird. Yeah. God yeah. damn. Yeah. darkness all in he United was States in, history. Yeah, man. <laughs> he was an interesting guy and like this kind of shows like a over rationalization or if you are too logical, you do some pretty shitty stuff. Yeah. And don't think of it as that way. You know? Yeah. Uh, Jefferson ultimately came to the conclusion before the ratification of the treaty that the purchase was to protect the citizens of the United States, therefore making it constitutional. Wow. <laughs> Since we Holy shit. ostensibly own it, or at least own the right to go take it, that in that way we can protect the citizens from the savages yeah. or other Western European nations that are constantly squabbling yeah, over the that, land those, at this time. Those, those laws are still up today. Yeah, they are. Yes, yes they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. That shit's real. Ugh, it's fucking crazy. Um, and they wonder why our gun culture is so crazy in America. Yeah. Because yeah. yep. this shit started like that. <laughs> yeah. And here's some more. I will shoot your ass if you come on my property. Dude, yep. Here's some Straight more up. amazingly American shit. I was like, oh, we've always been like this. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good to know for a fact. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Henry Adams and other historians have argued that Jefferson acted hypocritically critically with the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, but you think? Because of his position as a strict constructionalist uh, regarding the Constitution, since he stretched the intent of that document to justify his purchase. Mm. The American Purchase of the Louisiana Territory was not accompanied, or I'm sorry, accomplished without domestic opposition. Jefferson's philosophical 
consistency was in question because of his strict interpretation of the Constitution. Mm. Many people believed that he and others, including James Madison, were doing something they surely would have argued against, say, if Alexander Hamilton did that exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that not sound like some shit that we deal with on a yep. daily? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure, bro. It's it's always in rotation. The Federalists, (laughs) or let's call them Republicans nowadays, strongly opposed the purchase, favoring close relations with Britain over closer ties to Napoleon. Both Federalists and Jeffersonians, as they're referred to, (laughs) were concerned over the purchase's uh, constitutionality. Many members of the House of Representatives opposed the purchase. Majority Leader John Randolph led this opposition. The House called for a vote to deny the request for the purchase, but it failed by only two votes. Nice. 59 to 57. So again, shipwreck, the only slave revolt that ever happened in Western in the Western Hemisphere, mm-hmm. and then two fucking two votes. votes. Two people. That's crazy, bro. It's fucking wild. The Federalists were uh, even tried to prove the land belonged to Spain, <laughs> not France. <laughs> but available records proved otherwise. The Federalists also feared that the power of the Atlantic seaboard states would be threatened by the new citizens in the West, sound familiar, Mm -hmm. whose political and economic priorities were bound to conflict with those of the merchants and bankers of New England. There was also a concern that an increase in the number of slaveholding states created out of the new territory would exacerbate divisions between the North and the South as well. Sound familiar? A group of Northern Federalists led by Senator Timothy Pickering of Massachusetts went so far as to explore the idea of a separate Northern Confederacy. Whoa. Sound familiar? Right? (laughs) Fucking crazy, bro. Just, hold on, seven years after this nation was founded, (laughs) they're talking about splitting the fuck off. Fuck these guys. Bunch of cow kissing sons of bitches. I know we just got this all together, but like, Let's put it back up. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Isn't that insane? Why not? Yeah, well, not good. actually. It's not that surprising. No. no, not at all. Although just to see it written down on the page is kind of fun. Yeah. Another concern was whether if it was proper to grant citizenship to the French, Spanish, and the free blacks living in New Orleans. What? As the treaty would dictate. Critics mm. in Congress worried whether these, quote, foreigners, unacquainted with democracy, could or should become citizens. That's so fucking crazy. The U.S. government had to use a, like an English common law to make them citizens, and they only did this in order to collect taxes from people oh, yeah. living in New Orleans. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know. So they're calling people foreigners, and they arrived the same time the foreigners did. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they did. A rock and roll. A hundred percent. And the only thing that Man, changed their point, minds all foreigners. versus what language they speak or what the color of their skin was, it all just boiled down to fucking green. That's yep. all yeah. they cared about. Straight up. <laughs> and greenbacks, baby. Yeah. If you if you draw in breath, I need that tax money. Yeah. Yep. Let's get it. <laughs> so, and then a little later on, Spain pro, uh, protested the transfer on two grounds. First, France had previously promised in a note not to alienate Louisiana to a third party. 
And a second, France had not fulfilled the third treaty of San Ildefonso by having the king of Echiria recognized by all European powers. The French government replied that these objections were baseless since the promise uh, not to alienate Louisiana was not in the Treaty of San Ildefonso itself and therefore had no legal force. And the Spanish government had ordered Louisiana to be transferred in October of 1802, despite knowing for months that British had not recognized the king of Echiria in the Treaty of Amiens or Amiens. Yeah, look at the Amiens. That's fucking wild, bro. This shit. So much, so many backdoor deals and weird shit happening, yeah. bro. Like, I was, I was just taught we bought that shit and it yeah. became the states. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. much more shit. I know, there's so much more going on yeah. to it. Uh, Off a fucking shipwreck. Jesus Christ. Henry Adams claimed the sale of Louisiana to the United States was uh, trebly invalid if it were French property. Bonaparte could not constitutionally alienate it without the consent of the French chambers. If it were Spanish property, he could not alienate it at all. If Spain had a right of reclamation, his sale was worthless. The sale, of course, was not worthless. The U.S. actually did take possession. Furthermore, the Spanish prime minister had authorized the U.S. to negotiate with the French government. Uh, Quote, the acquisition of territories which may suit their interests. Mm -hmm. Spain turned the territory over to France in a ceremony in New Orleans on November 30th, a month before France turned it over to American officials. So Spain (laughs) sent delegates over and did a little pomp and circumstance Mm -hmm. thing, saying, here, it's yours now. And then France was like, dope, thanks. Okay, here you go, Jefferson. Like, immediately. We we just been chilling. We're waiting on this deal. (laughs) I'm waiting to move this little bit of weight so I can get this other little bit of weight off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like Straight up middleman. That's nuts. Other historians counter the above arguments regarding Jefferson's alleged hypocrisy by asserting that countries change their borders in two ways, one by conquest or two, an agreement between nations or a treaty. The Louisiana Purchase was the latter, a treaty. The Constitution specifically grants the president the power to negotiate treaties, Article 2, Section 2, which is just what Jefferson did. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Madison, known as the father of the Constitution, assured Jefferson that the Louisiana Purchase was well within even the strictest interpretations of the Constitution. Secretary, tre- uh, Treasury Secretary Albert Gallatin added that since the power to negotiate treaties was specifically granted to the president, the only way extending the country's territory by treaty could not be a presidential power would be if it were specifically excluded by the Constitution, which it was not. Huh. That's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about everything around us where we live at, off of Gallatin yep. in Madison, Tennessee. I know. I thought about that. Jefferson. Right next to Jefferson County. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, what the fuck? Anyway, uh, my brain took a loop on that. <laughs> so. Jefferson was right to be concerned about staying within the bounds of the Constitution, but felt the power of these arguments and uh, was willing to acquiesce with satisfaction if the Congress approved the treaty. The Senate quickly ratified the treaty and the House with equal alacrity authorized the uh, required funding as the Constitution specifies. 
the fledgling United States, here's something else that's fucking bonkers, did not have $15 million in its treasury. <laughs> so it borrowed it from Great Britain. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> who we just pissed the fuck off oh, yeah. very badly. Oh, yeah. And Great Britain is the one country that nobody wanted yeah. them to have that's what this they did the territory. Whole yeah. And yeah. they said, uh, uh, I'm a little light. Uh, can I <laughs> can I borrow fifteen million dollars from you? I need you like thirty million next Friday when I get paid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We just want a whole like country from y'all. Yeah, but can y'all help us? We want more. We want the rest it, of the country. Yeah, yeah, we want to double it. You know, <laughs> Jesus. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> fucking insane. Uh, Great Britain gave it to us at an annual interest rate of 6%, which is not very good. No, no not at all. Fucking what? No, some bad money. Mm-hmm. Money dealings going on. Uh, the United States Senate advised, advised and consented to ratification of the treaty with a vote of 24 to 7 on October 20th. The following day, October 21st, 1803, the Senate authorized Jefferson to take possession of the territory and establish a temporary military government. In legislation enacted on October 31st, Congress made temporary provisions for provisions for local civil government to continue as it had under French and Spanish rule and authorized the president to use military forces to maintain order. So basically, New Orleans is just going to keep going as New Orleans does. Yeah. And yeah. again, that's why they're so unique to us. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they just put like um, national military down there is just a fail safe. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. If shit goes awry, chitty, yeah, yeah. chitty, bang, yeah, yeah. bang. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. After this, Basically. plans uh, were set for several missions to explore and chart the territory, including the most famous being Lewis and Clark Expedition. Uh, also, there's uh, uh, there's the Chris Farley movie where they were going to be the first Lewis almost and Clark. Almost serious. Yeah. yeah, almost serious. I love that yeah. one. That's yeah, so my good. favorite line in that is I think like, that actually uh, did happen in history. Yeah. There was, like, there was an like, expedition yeah. set forth and they failed oh, no, miserably. There, there, there was. Yeah, there definitely was. Uh, my favorite part in the movie, though, was um, is the old guy, and he's got, like, the, the straw maiden that he's made as his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the guy looks at him and goes, you know, she's made a straw. Yes, sir. I figure that's why she burns so fast in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic, bro. I think that was his last movie. Chris yeah. Farley, I think it was his last it movie was. he did. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Crazy. Anyway. Yeah, so the opposition of New England Federalists to the Louisiana Purchase, just to kind of sum all this up, was primarily economic self-interest. Mm-hmm. Not any legitimate concern over constitutionality or whether France indeed owned Louisiana or was required to sell it back to Spain should it desire to dispose of the territory. Fucking sound familiar? Mm-hmm. The Northerners were not enthusiastic about Western farmers gaining <coughs> another outlet for their crops that did not require the use of New England's ports. Also, many Federalists were speculators in lands in upstate New York and New England and were hoping to sell those lands to farmers who might now go west instead if the Louisiana Purchase went through. They also feared that this would lead to western states being formed, which would likely be Republican or kind of democratic now, but yeah. it was so long ago, it's, it's right. quite different, and dilute the political power of New England Federalists. When Spain later objected to the United States purchasing Louisiana from France, Madison responded that America had first approached Spain about 
purchasing it, but had been told by Spain itself that America would have to treat with the France with France for the territory. So they just basically were having seller's remorse, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they gave it up and then France was like, oh shit, actually we can't really afford this shit either. And you know, yeah. either way, in less than three years, the Louisiana territory passed from Spain to France to the United States. <laughs> and again, took a shipwreck, a war, and a slave uprising for <laughs> all of this to actually happen. And then a two-person vote. Yeah, a two-person yeah, vote. Like two all of these vote. very yeah. unlikely things happening is the only reason that we're the size that we are. That's insane. Uh, it's and in that, wild, Jefferson sealed the largest land deal in U.S. history oh, of with course. peaceful di diplomacy and a signature. That's fucking crazy. Again, El Cazador sat at the bottom of the drink for over two centuries before old Jerry found it. Hmm? And I'm now realizing I did, like, I, I think we're very safe to say that he did get to keep ownership of this treasure that I found, that he found. Um, but I couldn't find anywhere that said how much he made, but one of those coins in good condition after it was like properly, um, what rehabbed, what am I trying to say? Uh, refurbished. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Refurbished, uh, <clears throat> is now worth anywhere from one to $2,000. So there's good. some God, online markets massive space, but okay. Through the, uh, well, it's just With the level of market systems and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it depends on the quality of it, uh, amongst other things, like who you're actually buying it from. It's apparently all of it comes from the Franklin mint that yeah. Benjamin Franklin set up. Um, but there's some that have been turned into like jewelry and stuff that I've seen on some online stores or whatever. Yeah. So I've seen some be for like $1,100. Others go for like $2,200 as just one of these coins, just cause it's rare and it's super yeah. cool. Of you course, know? It's dope. Um, but in, at the worst case, and Drew, you were talking about this earlier, they were 90% silver and they weighed almost seven grams, yeah. which equates to about $5 yeah. in today's market. So worst case huh. scenario, they melt it down for the silver yeah. and then sell it that way. Yep. So I did some math and we can assume that Jerry made anywhere from $225,000 to $9 million. Good God. <laughs> Must be fucking nice. Right. Yeah. yeah, bro. I Good. mean, on the on the uh, lighter side of that, I'm happy. <laughs> you That's know? a good like, day. Yeah, you're, exactly. you're looking for butterfish and you come up with, worst case, $225,000 <laughs> yeah. of uh, a shipwreck that we almost kind of forgot about. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, that bro. we actually pretty much forgot about. Not yeah. kind of. Well, the only reason that like historians would even know about it is for the you know, the last 45 minutes that is spent. Yeah. But yeah. the physical ship itself, I'm sure they were just like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine how many ships they just lost back then. We were talking about this the other week. It's yeah. like, there's probably so many other ships out there that have fucking all this shit on it because all the wars and shit that happened, man, people would come across each other and shoot each other down and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hit a fucking iceberg. Yeah. You know. Even in I the know. Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Fucking nuts. Hey, you know, shit's made out of wood, bro. I mean. Where'd that ice come from, Mississippi? <laughs> that son of a bitch came flowing down that somebody and jumped out and unburdened me. <laughs> Had to be a cold winter, boy. What? <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, iceberg. I hit an iceberg. I had You iceberg. were bass fishing, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I hit an iceberg, though. Yeah, me cold. and that trailer motor had a hard time getting back. Didn't you leave out of the port in Alabama earlier today? <laughs> yeah, hit an iceberg. Yep, <laughs> <an> iceberg. <laughs> crazy. Damn, Alaska done got big. 
<laughs> that was fucking crazy. Uh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, no, global, they're all gone. Global warming. <laughs> global warming is handling that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, don't worry about uh, ice uh, ice capping with your boat in uh, the Gulf of Mexico anymore because uh, uh, this is Mexico hot now. year round. So, uh, <laughs> but it's like seventy degrees year round. Yeah. No, I was talking to um, one of my friends down in Montgomery, Alabama, yesterday. I was like, yeah, it's 88 degrees up here. And he's like, or, there's, or hotter. There's, there's, there's no way. I'm in yeah. Montgomery, which is about 500 miles from here. Um, and he was like, there's an, uh, five, 500 miles south of where we are right now. So yeah. it, it's closer to the equator. So logically it should be hotter. And he's mm-hmm. like, there's no way it's 88 degrees. It's 75 degrees here. And I was like, look at weather.com. He pulled it up and he was like, oh, shit. Uh, I was bro. like, uh-huh. Humidity. Also, this year, I don't know if you guys have realized the change in the weather pattern as far as like the way that rain and things move up. It used mm-hmm. to be from where we're from, a seatbelt straight up to Nashville, mm-hmm. you know, strapped across. Yeah. Now it's Birmingham up to Nashville. Huh. This whole year, no, no, this I've been Different. I've been documenting it. Different. And I'm like, what the hell? And like it was the thing that was brought up on the Weather Channel of like, here are certain areas that have been hit by tornadoes this year. Or, or that haven't been hit by tornadoes that are usually hit, mm-hmm. and it was all of them Damn. because it's moved over. The like system's shifting four hundred miles, mm-hmm. and crazy. it just goes up now. But it keeps it's it's on the same trajectory going up, but going like east west, it's different now. That's that is crazy. Fun. Just within the last year, yeah, that's something to look into. Yeah, seriously, there might be a weird news update in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Little little shout out for this, I guess, information. A lot of it came from an article called uh, El Cazador, The Shipwreck That Changed the World by MF AIM or M Fame. I'm not sure. It's like some kind of maritime history um, group or mm-hmm. whatever that they kind of compiled this thing. And then, of course, Wikipedia is, yeah. is great for the the big swaths of information. Yeah. Like yeah. The, Louisiana the, time, the timeline vibes yeah, and all that yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. The shipwreck, the Chance USA, shipwreck USA. Yeah, sounds like a theme park, right? Um, Welcome to shipwreck. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. A, we're gonna bottle that. We'll open that up later. That's like uh, a haunted house. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like a haunted ship. Ooh, house. That park, water with rides park. and water. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, water park roller coasters. <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, they ain't made those yet. Uh, exactly. See, we ahead of the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fucking <laughs> uh, <laughs> a shipwreck made this crazy fucking country bigger and more volatile. But anyway, twice as big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, take that with you. We love you. Uh, I'm Justin Hammond, and I'm saying love, love, life because it's worth living, y'all. I'm Drew Shelnut, and I'm saying if you didn't think that we were going to take the whole country. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. Uh, I mean, we fought real hard for parts of Mexico that we oh, just didn't uh-huh. get. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. We're yeah. like, uh, and parts of Canada. Yeah. Um, well, Grant Bramlett here. Uh, and instead of my usual sign off, I'm going to say, I just remembered somebody fucking stole another one of my ideas. Uh, apparently, there's a venue that's opening up in Madison called The Church. Oh, wow. I wow. wanted to find an old church and turn it into a music wow. video. And they beat me to it again. Yeah. 
It's gonna just keep. I, I, oh, it, bro, that happened to be on the west side. Makes me feel better with the with the fucking rock and dough spot. Yeah, that old church. That yeah. I was trying to get, make a pool hall out of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, and we also had the the, the garage one, uh, the nation's the yeah. old car garage. Yeah, the garage. One. Hey, we'll get there. We'll get there, man. We'll it get just there. means that we have good ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, right. it means we just gotta find our time. You know, you can't you can't rush your time. You gotta slow mm-hmm. it so you can see it better. I used to have an idea when I was a kid that. Like, because, like, when we were kids, people used, like, hair gel and shit, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure people still do, but sorry for you. Um, we pomade these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what you should. Right. But um, I had an idea for, like, the hairbrush that had, like, kind of a, like, a... a little a, squirty boy in it. But, like, as, like, yeah, as you squeeze the handle, it squirts the stuff out into your hair and you yeah. just comb it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then I fucking saw one like two or three years ago, and I was like, "You <laughs> sons of fucking bitches!" Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, I always remember. If you can think of it, mm-hmm. it's probably already out there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with you know anything creative. Honestly, been had been yeah. done. It just depends <laughs> on how well you do it. Yep, mm-hmm. people. So yeah, just look at Tesla. Keep grinding. Keep sh- that crazy motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Keep grinding. Keep shining. <laughs> and uh, this has been a podcast called Friends. Facts and fiction, and we out. I mean, I can't just believe that they fucking stole my idea again. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next installment. Find us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all things friends, facts, and fiction. Our Instagram handle is friends underscore facts underscore fiction. As always, please reach out to us. You can send any of your questions, praise, and fact-checking to friends.factsfiction at gmail.com. It's important to us to only propagate the truth, and we'll correct any errors we may have made. Your hosts and researchers are Justin Hammonds, Grant Bramlett, and Drew Shelnut. Our episodes are produced by Grant Bramlett. Additional producership provided by Grace Higgs. Our recording engineer is Grant Bramlett. Our editor, mix, and mastering audio engineer is Jeremy Mulder. Lighting design is provided by Justin Hammond. This has been a production of Friends, Facts, and Fiction. One of my, uh, uh, shit is fucking sure. One of my buddies had one of the coolest shirts I've ever seen in my life. It's, I did the chick from Hanson. <laughs> mm, bop, bop, bop. Yeah. Mm. I used to go. Can't sing in tune. Bop a doop a doop a doop. Yeah, yeah. Come and tell me now. <laughs>